My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And um, we're talking about from the topic today, holding, holding pattern. Uh, we're going to be reading in John chapter 11 about the, uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. If you've uh, never read that story, it is, um, for, for me, it's one of the most spectacular, uh, amazing, um, can't wrap my head around it, miracles. That and the feeding of the 4,000 just just for me are, uh, are two miracles that I, that I just don't quite get. Um, this, uh, I don't know if you've ever been here, but have you ever felt like you're in a holding pattern in life? Oh, why don't you, all of the middle schoolers and high schoolers can leave. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. The labor pains are still, I'll blame it on that. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, you ever felt like you're in like a holding pattern in life though? Like you feel like, man, I should be further along in this area of life than, than I am, whether that is spiritually or sometimes it's financially, sometimes it's just um, your maturity. Uh, you just think like I should be somewhere that I'm, that I'm not. I, I wish I, wa- I want to move forward, but um, I'm in this season of delay. And um, I, God isn't necessarily meeting my expectations. And so every single one of us will go through that. If, you're not, if you haven't gone through a season of delay, you will. Just wait. It will happen. Um, every single one of us will. The, the trouble that we get into when we're in the midst of a holding pattern is that we start to doubt God. We start to kind of question uh, God's goodness. Does he really care? Does he see all the stuff that I've got going on and the, the stress and the waiting and the like he said this, but I don't see it happening. And we start to doubt. We start to question. We start to wonder. And because seasons of delay are, are, are times in our life where our deepest held beliefs can be questioned. Sometimes the things that we believe, our faith, uh, can be questioned in ways that, that aren't normally questioned apart from seasons of delay. And so if you can relate to that, then I just believe that this word is for you today. If you're in a place or a holding pattern or a season of delay in your life, um, I just believe God has a word for you. Um, I'd love you to turn with me to John chapter 11. And uh, if you're new here, we like to stand to honor the reading of God's word. So if you'd stand with me, um, I have a lot to say, but God has uh, much more important things to say. In John chapter 11... Um, we're going to start reading in verse 1. We're just going to read a portion of this, this scripture, of this story. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you there. And yet you want to go back? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After this, he had said, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. 
So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for, the sake, for, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Well, let us go that we may all die. Thomas was a little bit of a drama queen. Um, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed back at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said. And it's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had, had now not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that maybe she's going to the tomb to mourn there. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the reading of your word. How many times can I relate to that in my own life where I think if you had done, if you were here, if you cared, if you loved, if you had done this, then I wouldn't be going through the situation that I'm currently going through. There are times and seasons of our life, seasons of delay and holding patterns where we begin to question, Lord, do you see me? Do you see the stuff that's going on? Lord, I thank you that this is a setting for one of the most spectacular miracles that, that, that I, I can't even wrap my head around. So God, I pray you'd speak to us through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. All right, so um, it's a long scripture. It goes into a lot of detail about it. Um, I just want to take some time, and we're going to kind of skip down through this passage and, and work through it together. And so if this is kind of your first time, you maybe heard of Lazarus, first time really going through this scripture, um, buckle up because it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So Jesus has this friend named Lazarus. He's pretty sick. Verse 3, it says, the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, both sent word to Jesus. They sent a messenger. And this was the message. Lord, the one you love is sick. And now, John must have been, if he was here, he must have been thinking, the one Jesus loves, I feel fine. I don't understand. I don't feel sick at all, right? Inside joke, sorry. Um, but here's what I want you to understand. You don't send word and a messenger to Jesus unless you are sick, sick. Like on your deathbed, this isn't looking good. He's not coming back from this. This is a big deal. He's not going to make it. In verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, this is weird. He says he stayed where he was for two more days. Like, I don't know about you, but this, this kind of ticks me off. Like, this is someone who Jesus loves, 
This is someone who loves Jesus. This is a family friend on the brink of death. Why in the world would Jesus dilly-dally? Why would he not pick up everything and be like, the one that I love, my friend, he's sick. We need to go. Come on, guys, let's go. We're going to go. It says that he stays for two more days. If I was Martha or Mary, I would be disappointed. If I was Lazarus, I'd be very disappointed. This would not go well, right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where like, where kind of God doesn't do what you expect him to do even though he says that he loves you? Mm. Even though you're like, I don't know if you've ever been there, if you're actually like a real person where you're like, Lord, I know that you love me. I've read that you love me. I believe that you love me. I just am not feeling that you're communicating love to me by your inactivity in this area of my life. You ever been there? Like, yeah, that's great, and words, words are cheap, right? I want to see some action. Maybe it's just me. I've been in those seasons of life where delay or inactivity, or I just don't even know, do you see me, God? What is going on? Why in the world would you be delaying two days? Because as far as we can tell, Jesus has no reason, no real, real, real reason why he doesn't just pick up everything and go. Like he didn't get caught up with the Pharisees. There wasn't some sort of a, you know, camel crash down the road that held him up. Like, in fact, Jesus intentionally delays going to see Lazarus. We see this when we connect verse 5 and verse 6. Look at verse 5. It says this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In the ver verse 6. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. I don't know if you realize this, but that word so is a word that shows cause and effect. So, in, in essence, I was hungry, so I ate. And essentially it's saying, Jesus loved Lazarus, so he delayed for two days. Like, this doesn't make much sense to me. I, I read this and I'm like, I don't understand why you wouldn't pick this up and, and just get moving. Why? Because we struggle with equating love with comfort and convenience. If you love me, then you're going to show immediate concern and you're going to comfort me. That's how you show me love. So if you say that you love me, then you're going to do something about the thing that is needing your attention. Can I tell you that the longer that I do this thing, the longer that I live, the more you know, revolutions around the sun that I have in this life, I realize that God is not as interested in my comfort as I think he should be. He's not. I wish he was. In fact, there, don't tell him this, but I've, I've literally disagreed with the things that he's doing sometimes. Like, Lord, what are you thinking? Are you even thinking? Like, why would you allow this to be happening in my life? You say that you love me, and yet you're not doing this. I've even offered some consulting to him, and very rarely does he take me up on it. Very rarely. Sometimes he gets it right. But, some, but most times, I'm sitting there wondering, like, what in the world? Why in the world would you allow this to be happening in my life? We see this after two days of delaying. Verse 7, this is what it says. He's been hanging out for two days doing God knows what. Literally, God knows what. And, and it says, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. In other words, let's go back and see Lazarus now. And his disciples, the rest of his followers, they pitch a fit. Like, they're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Jesus, we were just in Judea. They almost killed us. You want to go back there? 
It's like, yeah, we, we're, we're going to go back. They try to talk Jesus out of it. And again, Jesus does not seem as interested in their comfort as they think he should be. Yes, guys, we're going, but we're going to die. That's the risk I'm willing to take, right? You know, like, are you kidding me right now? Let's go. Come on, we're going back to Judea. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus, he's trying to explain it to these guys, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And I love verse 12. I don't even know how it made it in the Bible because these guys, they're so simple. Like, it gives me hope for myself. They look at Jesus, they look at Jesus, and they're like, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better, right? <laughs> oh, I almost died one time. I just had a good night's sleep. I felt much better, right? Like, if he just let him sleep, Lord, that this is their answer. In verse 14, I'm sure Jesus is like, how much longer? <laughs> I mean, these guys, come on, seriously? What happened here, right? Verse 14, he looks at them plainly. Looks, I'm sure, square in the eyes. He's like, guys, guys, guys. Lazarus is dead. Oh. Oh, he's dead. That's what you meant, right? And then all of a sudden we see, as it continues in this verse, Jesus lets them in on a little bit of a reason why he delayed and why he wants to go see them. He says in verse 15, and for your sake, speaking to his disciples, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. What? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. There's something that's happening in this story that isn't just for Lazarus and it isn't just for Martha and Mary and his friends. There's something that Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples about himself. There's something that he's wanting to reveal about himself and deepen their faith. He even says this, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad this is working out the way that I know you think this is a hot mess, but this is exactly my plan so that you may believe there's something there's something going on. And you may feel like that in your life right now where you're like, I have no idea why in the world I'm going through what I'm going through. I just want you to know he has a plan. He has a plan. He continues in verse 17. On his arrival, uh, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb, get this, four days. Jesus waited. I don't know if the guy died on the way that the messengers were coming, but by the time Jesus gets there, he's been dead for four days. Four days is a long time to be dead. We've all heard these stories, you know, like uh, medical mysteries of, you know, somebody like, you know, dying on the, on the table of the operating table and then being revived and resuscitated. And they're like, I saw the light. And you know what I mean? You're like, wow, isn't that amazing? Four days, dude. This is a very different story. This is not a, oh my gosh, I think I might have died and saw Jesus. No, you, you're dead, 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 dead. Jews believed that after, like, for three days after somebody died, that their spirit hovered over the body. After three days, the spirit left. This is four days. So it's, it's over. This thing is over. Uh, and, and I think that Jesus was waiting until everybody involved knew it was over. Je you know, Lazarus had died. They had embalmed him. They had wrapped him in linens, put him in a sealed tomb, covered with a rock. It was over. But how many of you know that our God loves to give hope where there is no hope? He loves to make the impossible possible. There are some times in my life where I kind of have these like, okay, these are the parameters and the boundaries through which God can work. And then he just was like, what boundaries? He just all of a sudden does things and I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I'm kind of God, right? 
okay, I, new boundaries now, I guess, right? God just kind of just opens this, this, this whole can of worms. So one of Lazarus' sisters comes out and meets Jesus, and this is what she has to say. And I can relate to this. Verse 21, she says, Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Like, she's disappointed at best. But how many of you know that, like, following Jesus means that sometimes he doesn't meet our expectations? Sometimes following Jesus means that you're disappointed, honestly. Like, I thought that God was going to do this. He says that he loves me. I love him. And yet, this is how it's happening. And she's looking. This is what's going on with Mary. She's like, where have you been? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Because I believe that you are who you say you are, but you didn't show up when I needed you the most. And in seasons of delay and in times of, 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 of just not knowing what God's up to, we start to wonder if God cares about us or if he sees what we're going through. When we're in holding patterns, we start to wonder, does God really love us? Because we expect God to move when we have a need. So when I have a need, I want him to do something about it. And if he doesn't, then we start to doubt if he even cares about us. I see this like kind of in a microcosm as a dad with my kids. So like in the mornings, <clears throat> we, we get ready for school and, uh, and my kids are kind of getting around. Normally I have to tell my son, did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your hair? Did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your hair? Yes. Did you brush your teeth? That doesn't look, smell. You didn't brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. You know what I mean? Like these questions that go incessantly. And, and usually about once a week, we'll have one of the kids that will come up to one, either Katie or I, frantically. I think it happened on Thursday. And um, they'll say something like this. Dad. I'm like, yeah. I'm literally just trying to drink coffee so I don't hate the world. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, shh, just let me. They're like, Dad. I'm like, yeah. I can't find my shoes. Okay, Jesus, help me. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I usually have like a dad joke answer, which is like, well, the last time I wore them, I put them by the door. And they're like, oh. see, here's the thing. If I don't enter in to the same level of crazy or urgency that they have, they think I don't care about them. You know, if I'm like, if I don't react like, oh my gosh, wear shoes, somebody steal them. We gotta find them. Let's call 911, right? If I don't do that, then they're like, you don't even care about me. Then they're like stomping, slamming doors, not looking for the shoes, no. Slamming doors barefoot, you know, just pouting, right? That's not gonna help you find your shoes, right? But here's the reality. We can laugh about it, you know, those kids being kids and just being like overly dramatic. But like, if I'm gut level honest, this is where I go. When I have a need that God needs to meet in the time frame that I'd like him to meet it in, and he's not. I mean, I get to that place where I'm like, do you even care? Do you see? I lost my shoes, right? Like, I get to that place where I, I, I don't understand why he doesn't understand what's going on and how significant this is because it's no laughing matter when it happens to you. And it's no laughing matter for, for Martha in this story. I mean, she's literally looking at Jesus saying, Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. In other words, you didn't heal him, and you didn't even show up for the stinking funeral. You're late. Not even late. You're late, late. Like, it's over. It's done. This thing is finished. 
In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I, I, I love this, because she wants to get this right. She says, I know, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Like she, that's what we do when we don't know what to do, when we really are struggling in faith, but we want to hold up a good face to Jesus. We're like, oh, I know, Jesus, on the last day and the trumpet sounds, that's when the dead shall rise. Like we get to this place where we're like, we want Jesus to be happy with us still, even though we're mad at him. We start to wane religious. You understand? Okay, nobody in here gets that. All right, fine. So we want to say the right things and quote him because he likes it when we quote him. And so we say things like this and, and he looks at her and he's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. I am the one who's talking to you. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe that? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the Son of God who is to come into the world. I want you to catch this interplay that's happening between these two because essentially what she's saying to Jesus is this. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the Son of God in this world. I, I just don't know if you're God in my situation. Like, I believe that when the trumpet sounds and the last day the dead shall rise, and I believe that all that's going to happen, I just don't know if I can trust you today. I can trust you on the last day, but today with the stuff that's going on in my life and the waiting and the, all this stuff, like, I don't know how I feel about you today. And if you're taking notes, one of your notes is this, like, in seasons of delay, we don't usually become atheists, we become situational atheists. As Christians, we don't just throw away our faith and say, oh, well, I just don't even believe in this God thing and all these years that I poured into this. And uh, No, we become situational atheists. Let me explain what I mean here. When we're in a holding pattern in life, when we're in a place of delay, and God is not meeting our expectations, as Christians, we still believe that he's got the whole world in his hands. We just don't know if he has our world in his hands. We're just unsure if he's really like got a good handle on us and what's going on. And it is, I'm just telling you, it is so sneaky. It is so sneaky. We believe in the resurrection of the last day. We just don't know about today. And so without even realizing it, we start approaching our life and our faith situationally as if God doesn't exist or he isn't in it in certain areas of our life. And it's different for everyone. So let me, give you, let, me, let me help you understand what I'm talking about. For some of you in here, if I was like, hey, we need someone to pray over someone's leg or their back or something, some of you, you'd be the first person to stand and be like, absolutely, let's go. Why? Because you have faith to believe that God is a healing God. You've seen him heal things. And so you're like, I, I, I'll be praying for that person. And yet you don't believe that God can heal your marriage. And then there are other people in here that would say, my goodness, I've seen God take my marriage from, from, from nothing to something. He's restored that which I thought was broken. So 
when I see brokenness in marriage and shatteredness, I want to come alongside it. I want to pray God into this. Why? Because I believe that God can do it because he's done it for me. And yet you have a trouble believing that God can heal you physically. Situational atheism. The point is this, that the longer that you're in a holding pattern in an area of your life, the easier it is to become a situational atheist in that area of your life. Why? Because you're waiting and he hasn't showed up. And I don't know what he's doing. I don't even know if he even sees it. I don't even know if he even cares. And I doubt. And this is why Jesus asks Martha, and I believe he asks every single one of this, do you believe this? Like, does this go deeper than just on the last day when the trumpet sounds? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life today in your life? Do you believe it? Because I think Jesus is always calling us out of the shallows to believe him for things that we're uncomfortable believing him for. He is always calling us because he knows that if he, if he gets our trust, then he has our hearts. Time and time again, God is always calling us to believe him for more than we are willing to believe him for. Now, here's the cool thing. If you've read ahead in John chapter 11, or you know the rest of the story, you know this isn't the end of the story. Like, this story rocks. It's amazing. All of this, so far, leading up to it, is a setup for one of the craziest miracles reported in Scripture. Like, the scene of their greatest disappointment is the setting for their greatest miracle. God moves in a way that nobody could ever even expect. And I wonder, I wonder to myself, as I've been reading it this week, what, like, does God sometimes disappoint my expectations so that he can exceed them. Think about that. Like if God gave me everything that I always expected, would he really be the God of the impossible? Or would he just be the God of the expected? Would he be a God that looked a whole lot like me, acted a whole lot, looked like me, talked a whole lot like me, looked and was a whole lot like me? Would he be an idol created in my own image rather than a God of the impossible? So sometimes what we actually want, God, I want you to meet my expectations. God's saying, like, what if I didn't meet your expectations and, in fact, you gave me opportunity to exceed them? Because let us never forget that he thinks he's God, that his ways are higher than our ways, that his, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, even when we don't understand. Because if God met all of your expectations, he would never have the chance to exceed them. And that's exactly what's about to happen in this story. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and people are crying still, the Jews had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In the shortest scripture in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. And I've always read that and been like, oh man, isn't that so cool? Like God weeps, he cries in the midst of like uh, losing someone that he loves. But I don't know about you, like this may be, have you ever wondered why Jesus cried about something that he knew he was going to fix? Isn't that weird to you? Like he is weeping, he's troubled. The Bible says that he's troubled in spirit, he's moved in spirit. 
And yet, he knows that in just a few minutes, all this, all this trouble, all, this, all these tears is going to turn into laughter and joy. He knows everyone's going to be like, wow, that was crazy. You know, like, they, he knows in just a few minutes. And yet, in the moment, he is weeping. He is troubled. One of the things that I love dearly about our Lord is that he is always has the, has the ability to be in the moment for the moment that he's in. Always in the moment. He, I, I don't believe that he was ever walking around when he was living on this earth. I don't think he was ever walking around like looking past people. Like, hey, did you, I already healed you. Get out of the way. You know what I mean? Like next, you know what I mean? He was never looking past you. I believe that whenever you encountered the Lord, he always made you feel like you were the only person in the room. And we make fun of John, I make fun of John, that he's always like, oh, I'm the one who Jesus loved. And Lazarus is also known in here, obviously, as the one who Jesus loved. I honestly think that if you had a face-to-face encounter with the living God, you would feel like, I'm the one who Jesus loves. I feel like the only person in the room. And if you've ever encountered the presence of God, you know it. Man, I just feel like I'm the only one in the room next to 600 people who are the only one in the room. God, I don't know how you do this, but you minister to us personally. And he cries in the moment he's there. I mean, let's not forget he let Lazarus die. And yet in the moment, he's crying. He's, he's there. And he's, he's, he's grieving over the loss of his friend, someone that he loves. I want you to see this, that Jesus is not some detached preacher at a funeral telling you that when your Aunt Alice died that, you know what, she's in a better place, you should all stop crying and get over it. He's not like that. He's grieving for the, with those who are grieving. I love this, this verse. Someone gave us this verse many, many years ago. Psalm 56, 8. In the New Living Translation, I like it the best. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows, you've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Isn't it good to know that those tears you thought you just cried into your own pillow and nobody saw and nobody knew and nobody cared, that he's collected those, that he sees you. He sees you in your despair. He sees you where you're at and he cares. the people are crying in verse 38. Jesus, it says that he once more was deeply moved. Apparently, he, he cried again or, or something. He came to the tomb, and it was a, a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And this is what he says. He says, take away the stone. Walks up to a four-day dead tomb. Take away the stone. I want you to realize that for this family, it was over. There was no coming back to this. Like, Jesus had taken his dear sweet time getting there. Lazarus had died. They had embalmed him, wrapped him, put him in a sealed tomb. They were done. And I was thinking about this. Like, how many times in seasons of delay and holding patterns of my own life have I entombed what God has not finished with? Well, I'm, I'm just kind of done with it. It's taken too long. God hasn't shown up. He gave me this promise, but it hasn't come to fruition. 
The dream is dead. Too much has happened. And what do we do with dead dreams? What do we do with with hope that's been deferred? What do we do with promises that have yet to be fulfilled, even though they're like 10 years old? What do we do? We put them to rest. We entomb them. Why? Because I don't want to be disappointed anymore. I don't know how how to live in the midst of this hope, in the midst of this promise, and yet never seeing it get any closer. And I'm in this place, this this season of delay, in this holding pattern. And so I don't want to be disappointed anymore, so I'm going to just bury this thing, just to entomb this thing. And we end up putting in the grave what Jesus came to save. We, We end up giving up on what God's not giving up on. Verse 39, I love Martha. She's so practical. She says, but Lord, so Martha, the sister of the dead man, just in case you forgot, by this time, there's a bad odor. I love how it says in the King James Version, surely he stinketh. That's what it's, it's the only time I quote the King James. Surely he stinketh. For he has been there for four days, Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like Martha, but, but I, I put myself in this place where it's like, Jesus, like, I know you can do some awesome stuff. I just don't know if I want to submit to the nasty process of getting there. Like, yeah, I know you're here and it's been four days and you're Jesus, but like, do we have to? I don't know. I kind of put this thing to bed. I've kind of concealed that thing. I put a rock in front of it because it stinks and I really don't want to deal with that area of my life. Like, I don't want to get any closer to this thing. I'm actually okay with it being sealed up and put away. And so for some of us, we don't let people in too close. Why? Because we have to hide it. We'll conceal it. For some of us, we use passwords on our computers not to protect us, but to conceal things. I'm just going to kind of, if I can kind of keep this thing back. Like, God, I know you can probably do some amazing things right now. She had seen him do amazing things. I just don't want to go through the difficult process of getting there. This is what, I mean, if you look at this, if you really read this, Martha is almost turning down Jesus. Like, ah, Jesus, it's been four days. Like, I mean, maybe we should just call it a day, right? Maybe I don't really want to get into all this. Jesus is always saying, if we want healing, you've got to be willing to reveal that which you've concealed so that he can heal it. It's the only way he can do it. And I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't get up and he doesn't move the stone himself. He's not like, I got this thing, let's move it, let's get out of the way. He says, you move the stone. The stone that you put there, you move it. You, you, you get rid of that thing that you put there. Why? Because sometimes there is hard work before we can get to God's work. Sometimes there is some hard work that needs to happen before he can do his work. He's like, move the stone. Are you willing to actually go back and to reveal that thing that you've kind of hidden away, that now oh, that never happened in my life, I'm not even going to get to this thing again. I'm going to just conceal this for the rest of my days. In verse 40, he says this, did I not tell you that If you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and he says this, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus! 
come out. Just imagine what that looks like. Charles Spurgeon, there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon where he said, it's a good thing that Jesus used Lazarus' name because if not, he would have emptied the entire cemetery. I mean, think about it. You don't just say, come out. Oh, no. I mean, Lazarus, only Lazarus. The rest of you stay sleeping. Right? Deep sleep, deep sleep. Right? I mean, like, he says, Lazarus, come out. And all of a sudden, I mean, imagine the horrific expectation that was experienced by these loved ones. Of like, ah, oh, uh, ah, yay. Like, they have no idea what to do. In one moment, they're like, who's going to clean them up? Not I. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is weird. And it says in verse 44 that he, the dead man came out. This four-day-old stinky dead man in a tomb came back to life. And this guy was dead, 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 dead. Like, dead, dead, dead. Nobody was thinking, yeah, I think Jesus is probably going to raise this guy from the dead. It's, it's going to be awesome. I don't know how he's going to do it, but it's going to be amazing. We all have limits that we put on God. And for me, this story, God just busts right through it. Busts right through my limits. And it says that his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. I mean, imagine, he literally, I don't know how he got out. He was like, hippity hoppity, Easter's on. It's, I know, I mean, like, I, literally, he's hopping out of the grave, and people are just like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And Jesus looks at them, and this is what he says. I love it. He's just kind of, take the grave clothes and let him go. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus was alive. In, in a word, when God spoke it, he came to life. All of a sudden, that which was dead came to life, but he was still wearing his grave clothes. He was still kind of like hung up in these things. Couldn't really walk or move or do what he needed to do. Hopping his way out of the grave. And I think about this. How often, how often does that describe us as Christians? Saved, given new life, but yet still bound up in areas. Come from, from death to life, but yet still wearing grave clothes still unable to walk freely, strongholds still holding us back from being able to walk freely in that which Christ has made possible for us. Because with the word, Jesus brings, brings life to death. But can I tell you, it's not good enough for Jesus that he's just like, okay, great, he's alive now, so we're all good. Jesus died so that we might not have just life, but the Bible says abundant life, life to the full. That's what he, that's what he died for. And it's important for us to notice this, that Jesus speaks new life into Lazarus, but it is the job of the family of God to remove the grave clothes. Jesus spoke new life into this man, but there were things that this guy couldn't even free himself from. He didn't know how to get out of. There are some things that the family of God are supposed to be doing. There are some things that I believe God reserves specifically for the family of God. It's why we do things like, like ancient paths that we've talked about the past few weeks and over this past year. People coming alongside, helping God be able to do the things that he wants to do, taking off grave clothes so that people can walk freely in the freedom that Christ bought for them. 
Imagine if, imagine if Lazarus was just all bound up and he's like, I got this. I got you. Leave me alone. I got this, right? I mean, I, I, I've seen people like this, right? Oh, I don't need your help. Get away from me. They're all bristly and stuff. Yeah, you look like you got this. You're awesome. You got this, dude, right? Sometimes it means that we trust, that we ask people to come alongside to help remove the grave clothes that we think are normal. And so, I don't know, maybe you're in a place like that where you just need to allow Jesus and allow others, the family of God, to come alongside and bring health and healing and freedom, full freedom. Why don't you stand with me? There's a scripture in um, Philippians chapter 3. I love it. Um, Paul, Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I love how he says, I want to know Christ. In other words, I want to know that I know that I know that I know that I know Christ. And if you're in a season of delay right now, maybe you're like, you know what? I can totally relate to this. I, I, I feel like I am or currently in or have been in a holding pattern in my life. I want you to remember this. Our faith is not in something. It is in someone. Our faith is not, oh, I hope that I can get this one, this something. It is knowing someone. That's what our faith is built upon. So my expectation is not to get something, but to know someone. And I want you to just kind of tr track with me for, for a moment, because when your faith is focused on getting something, it's very easy to get disillusioned. It's very e easy to get distracted. It's very easy to, to get discouraged. But when your faith is focused on knowing Christ, <laughs> it doesn't matter how long you have to wait. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter how much you understand or don't understand. It doesn't matter what hard times lie ahead. Knowing Jesus is, is my certainty in the midst of uncertain times. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're in this holding pattern, are you holding out for something or are you holding out to know someone? Do you want to know him? To know that you know that you know that you know that you know him. And there are some of you in here that you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've lived through this. Maybe you've just come out or you're in the midst of a, of a season of delay or a holding pattern in your life where you're like, you know what? I know exactly what it is that they're going through. And your friends will, t will talk to you and say, you are crazy for still believing in God. Why in the world would you still have faith even in the midst of all this stuff that's going on in your life? But you know that you know that you know because you're not holding out for something. You're holding out to know someone. And it changes everything. So I want to pray with you. If you're in this place where, I don't know, for some of you, maybe you're, you just, you just stopped. You just stopped dreaming. You stopped believing. You stopped holding on to a promise. You stopped praying for that thing. You stopped praying for your kids. Why? Because it's just too hard to be disappointed. I, I, I just don't know how I'm supposed to continue walking in this. You stop, you, you, you stop dreaming. You start to, you know, entomb things that God isn't yet finished with, but I don't want to be disappointed, so I'm just going to bury it. If that's in your area of life, I just want you to put your hand over your chest as we pray. 
Make this your prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. I know that there are times where you do not meet my expectations, but Lord, I trust you enough that you can exceed them. May I never be the cap on what you want to do in my life. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know Christ. I want to know him in his resurrection. I want to know in the participation in his suffering. Know him. Know that I know that I know. But God, I pray that you would bring a, a fresh revelation of who you are to, to, to those of us in here today that are kind of pushed, pushed things aside and said, I don't want to get into this anymore. I'm going to just kind of leave this thing. I'm going to entomb this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to push this aside. Would you reveal yourself fresh to us today? That you are the resurrection and the life and ever-present help in times of trouble. That you are so close to the brokenhearted that you grieve for those who grieve, that you have collected our tears in your bottle, that you see us, that you have not turned your face away, but that you care. And even when we don't understand, and even when it doesn't seem like you're doing anything, you've got a plan. There's something going on behind the scenes that you're wanting to reveal to me that is deeper than I could ever experience without it. So Jesus, in the moments of these delays, I pray that we would come to know you even deeper just like you said to your disciples, so that you may believe. Lord, we thank you that you are always there, ever present. In Jesus' name, amen.